to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label Kill Rockstars. On this month's episode of Music Industry 101, we're talking to people who can help artists get their music out there into the world. These gatekeepers receive hundreds of demos from young artists every week. How do they wade through all these submissions to determine which songs get played on the radio, reviewed on blogs, etc.? We'll talk to Charlize Metcalf, who hosts a local radio show on KEXP in Seattle, Brandon Stosi, who is an editor at Pitchfork, and Nathan Walker, who runs Riot Act Media, about their advice for young musicians. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your table? Our guest today is Charlize Metcalf, the host and producer of Audio Oasis at KEXP. Charlize, welcome to the future of what? Thanks for having me. So this show today that we're doing is another one of our Music Industry 101 series. And so we wanted to talk to you because we wanted to have the musicians, the young musicians out there who are trying to figure out how do I get my music, some exposure on the radio... We wanted to get a radio professional like yourself Mm -hmm. in a major market Mm -hmm. like Seattle to speak to that question. As a DJ, I receive so much music from lots of people. (laughs) I receive music physically. Mm -hmm. I receive it over email. Mm -hmm. And I also (laughs) have people give it to me when I'm out and about. (laughs) While you're standing in line for the restroom somewhere. (laughs) That happens to me. (laughs) That hasn't happened, but I uh, will not. I, I, if it happens, I won't be surprised. Yeah. So when people submit music to me over email, I usually will send kind of a standard response. The standard response is, please allow up to two weeks or listening time. And that's pretty standard here at KEXP. Our music director asks for the same thing. And we actually have a link on our website where it goes into like lots of detail about mm. receiving music, how to get airplay, how to get your music distributed, things like that. Okay. So when I get it, I try to listen to it within that two-week period. And I rely on the person to follow up with me because I get so much. And I have a little folder in my email that, you know, says Audio Oasis band music inquiries Mm -hmm. so that it does live somewhere. But I expect that if I tell you to follow up within two weeks that you should follow up with me. That's good advice. So that's a reminder. (laughs) It's a reminder that when that email comes through and if I haven't listened to your music within that two weeks, that it becomes a priority when you follow up with me that I need to listen to it right away. Cool. When I listen to it, I will let, you know, I just let you know, I have to be honest if I like it, I don't like it. If I think that it's worthy of getting a spin or whatever, I'll, I'll let you know. That's a courtesy that I have to do to you. You know, I have, I have to tell you that. And the same thing goes for physical CDs as well. Allow two weeks. I listen to it. You follow up with me. And it's good that if you send in a physical CD, it's really good for you to like send a follow-up email. Hey, sent you a CD in the mail. Just want to make sure that you received it, that 
you know, that you're considering us or whatever. And then you, I will respond and let you know that I've got it and to follow up with me, you know, within or after two weeks, uh, two weeks is the listening time. Perfect. And then you remind me and let me know that we spoke about this and that you want to know what's up with, with the airplay. So there is an element, of course, as with all gatekeepers, you're a gatekeeper and I'm a gatekeeper because I run a label and I get demo submissions as well. Mm -hmm. So there's an element with gatekeepers of personal opinion. I mean, it really is going to be whether you think something is good, whether I think something is good. That's, yeah. that's just the nature of the beast. Right. But personal opinion aside, can you give young musicians any advice as to, you know, besides like, be something I like? Right, you know? right. Is there any other advice? <laughs> I would say that it's definitely not a fair thing right. to say. <laughs> if I, and my job is, is really hard because I do have, I, I definitely have a refined personal opinion. I've been listening to music for a really long time and I can even see the development of my taste, but audio Oasis is a community show mm -hmm. and it's supposed to serve the Northwest. And with that, I put my personal opinion aside and I'm like, is this a good song? Is this a song that deserves to be heard? And I will put it on. Mm -hmm if it's a yes or whatever for young musicians who are submitting their music and maybe they get a response from me, like this isn't my cup of tea or this isn't where, what I'm looking to play on the show right now. I think that that's just feedback that you're getting from one person at KXP or at a radio station. There's a gazillion other maybe not a gazillion, but <laughs> it's at least like 40 other DJs who might like your music. And it's really good to make sure that you are reaching out to everybody at the station. Cause one of the beautiful things about KEXP is that all the DJs get to pick their own music. Mm -hmm. They get to program their own shows. So you're not at a one stop. If one person doesn't like your music or isn't looking to play it on air, there's a lot of other people that you should reach out to. And one of the most important people that you should reach out to is the music director because he decides what goes into our whole rotation. It's not just, just that one DJ that's programming their three hour show. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So yeah. you're, yeah. I think the upshot of what you're saying is something that is totally true for all of the music business is perseverance. You know, yeah. young musicians have to just keep trying. You know, you can't Definitely. sort of set your sights on like, well, if Charlize doesn't like it, I'm going to go home and take up, you know, knitting instead of music. Yeah, no, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep an open mind. If I don't like that recording or I don't like that, you know, particular project, I always say to people, please stay in touch. Mm -hmm. Keep sending me your music. Maybe I don't think that this is the right fit for the show, but the next time you send me something, that might be a good fit for the show. Absolutely. So I always, yeah, I just, I, I, I have to keep an open mind. It's really important for Audio Oasis and for KEXP as a whole. Absolutely. There's so many bands that we play so much music that we get on air. So 
So let's talk a little bit about that, because I think another problem that young musicians run into all the time is this sort of unrealistic expectations. So let's say that someone sends you a demo and you do like it and you do play it on Audio Oasis. What should a young artist expect from getting some radio exposure? You know, are, should they then just stop working, stay home and wait for checks to roll in? <laughs> I mean, what <laughs> what's the appropriate level of enthusiasm about, you know, what can they expect if they get some radio play in a market? I, I have a lot of musicians and artists like, reach out to me after I play their music and thank me, which I think is really nice. And most times they take that opportunity to ask me for in studios mm. and that's okay. That that's, that's okay. It is, it is definitely their right to inquire about it in studio. I believe that, when I'm, when I'm doing the show, I like to make sure that the band is being played regularly, that I'm like promoting them mm-hmm. and they, they will be able to see that. And those are bands that I likely pick for in studios, but it's really good to like follow up with me and to just, you know, reach out and like say, thanks if you want to. <laughs> and definitely they should, if it's just me that's playing it, they should definitely reach out to the music director to see if the music director is willing to review it for rotation. So I think that like a follow-up email definitely is in order and then track like how many times their music is being played. And if it's getting some regular airplay, they should definitely be considered for and in studio. Cool. So really getting getting your music on the radio is kind of your first step in that it starts to build a relationship. Definitely. You know, it's and it's also a step to the next things that you can do. You know, yeah. I, I like to stress this because I really, in my experience, I find too many musicians who think that once they, you know, connect a gatekeeper with their music, that their job is done. Yeah. And so I like to to make people understand, no, your job is just starting and it's a job. If you want this job, you got to do it every day. Like this is, this is stuff that you've got to keep working at. Yeah. There's a lot of like footwork that you have to do. Mm -hmm. Get out there and play shows. It's good. I get lots of emails from bands invite me to their shows, which I think is really cool. You offer to put me on the guest list. Let me know when, you know, they're releasing another single or whatever. It's good to reach out and to make a contact with the person that's playing your music. I think that is important. Well, right, because in most cases, I'm sure you've had this experience. You've been doing this a long time. You have lasting relationships with these artists. You know, you go through several albums with them and, you know, through their whole career together. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah. And that, I mean, just from like way back when it's like, I can name some artists where I'm like, wow, they were making this kind of music before. And now they're making this kind of music. Like I've seen like their, you know, musical artistic transitional period. Right. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any stories about any bands? Like, can you name a band where you played them on your radio show and now they've like gone on to bigger and better things? I'd like to say Pillar Point mm-hmm. when Scott started, when he first began on my college radio show. I think I played Throw Me the Statue. 
I just thought he was just like so special. I was like, these are pop gems. Uh So much fun. And now he's developed more into an electronic project. And I really appreciate that. I know him and that I can get him to send me his music before anyone else. I think that's definitely one of the big perks about (laughs) being in the radio business, especially if you're obsessed with music like I am. Right. And so I've just loved seeing him grow from this. I mean, he still makes these pop songs, but he's definitely developed as like a, and musician and totally utilizing his skills of making these wonderful songs that are fun to learn the lyrics to. <laughs> At what stage should an artist send you their music? For example, like let's say you have a young artist who's going to release their own CD like via CD Baby or something. Mm-hmm. When should they send you the music for maximum impact? Well... There's a band that I like right now a lot. They are called Boyfriends. I can't get over them. They're just so much fun. Uh-huh. And when I found out about them, they had already gone into rotation and their CD just says demos on it. And then they sent me, and they, they still haven't released any, like the, the music properly, but it's just like the, this piece of paper that they stapled together and they drew the markers on it, all the track titles. <laughs> and it's great. Uh-huh. And I didn't like, I, I don't know if I have any high expectations of like what the music should look like on the outside. Cause I definitely could judge so many books by their covers. Right. But, if the musician or the artist feels confident about the way that it sounds, like the recording, their music, and I mean, if they just, the confidence, they just have to feel completely confident with it and sure that this is what would sound great on the radio or whatever, then they should send it to me. I listen to everything, everything comes across anything that comes across my desk I give it listening time because it's only fair Mm -hmm. there are a gazillion reasons why I may put it on the radio or I won't put it on the radio but as long as the artist is confident with how it sounds and that it's ready for airplay then they should send it in definitely so you don't, there's not a particular time, like, you know, whether you have an album coming out or any of that stuff, you just think if you're ready, you're confident, just send it. Well, if you, definitely if you are on like a release schedule, but a lot of the people that I work with don't have release schedules. They're just, you know, me and you making music mm-hmm. and they just want to get their music heard. They're not working with a distribution company or a record label. They're just like up and coming musicians. So I guess like if you're, if you have an album release date and you're like trying to like schedule everything around a show or whatever, then, you know, let me know that you have a show coming up and, and that you're looking for airplay to promote your release. If it's, 
coming from a label, of course, you know this, the label will be like, you can only play this song for right now. <laughs> right. And then after, you know, or, or closer to the date than like a week before most labels, week or two before, most labels don't really care what you play, but they're really tight, really, really tight on that date mm-hmm. until then. So if they are trying to schedule and they have like, things around it that they want to promote events, shows, album release date, whatever, then definitely let me know that. But if you're just like, most people are just trying to get their music heard. And if you're confident with how it sounds and everything, just send it in to me. Awesome. Well, great advice. Charlize Metcalf is the host and producer of Audio Oasis on KEXP. Charlize, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Violence by Hella. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Brandon Stosi is the Director of Editorial Operations at Pitchfork, and he joins us today on the future of what? Brandon, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. We have asked you here today because we started doing on this radio show a series called Music industry 101. Mm -hmm. And the point is to try to help young musicians out there navigate what's going on in the music business since it is so convoluted. It is so hard to understand. There's so many moving parts. And so this episode, we're talking to people who are basically gatekeepers, people who have the ability to to help people move to the next level to some extent. And so we really wanted to talk to you about basically how you interact, like I, like you said, your inbox is always full. I'm assuming that you get tons of demos from young bands. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where having been involved in this stuff for so long and, and sort of doing zines and all the changer and stuff. And back then it was kind of like you would get 
you know, fewer things in general. I'm, I, I feel like I'm old enough at this point, and I'm 42, that a large part of my life I didn't have the internet at all. So it was kind of incumbent on you as someone interested in music to kind of just go out and find things or a lot of zine trading and going to shows and all that. And now it's this weird position where you can essentially never leave your house or computer and still get access to all this music and all this stuff sent your way. And in some ways, you know, it's nice, I suppose, but in other ways, it's, it can be overwhelming because there just is so much and where you used to have a little bit more control over what you saw and what you interacted with and consumed. Now it's just kind of coming at you constantly. So now that it's sort of, it is nice, I still do a lot of shows and kind of step away and see things that I like firsthand. And then I, I can sort of approach the person versus them approaching me, which, which can be nice. And also I think it's, you get emails from different kinds of people. You get emails from the artists themselves or you get emails from the label or you get emails from a publicist or you get emails from fans sort of suggesting that you check something out. So it's kind of a, just a different, different way of people contacting you. And we have a, a bunch of different email addresses at the site. So some things will come into news and some came into you're submitting to like a demo uh, email address or a promo email address, I should say. Some people submitting directly to me, some people go. So it's just, you get like things coming from all different angles. It's really just a matter of kind of going through, seeing if something seems interesting to you or somehow piques your interest and you kind of want to dig deeper and read the email and figure out what it is and take a listen. And it's at this point, it's just, it's, it's impossible to listen to everything. And even from someone who, has been involved in, in this kind of music for a long time and, and really loves the scene and, and the people in it who really wants to listen to everything. It's just it's totally impossible. So you kind of have to go through and do the best you can do and always kind of knowing there's going to be something you end up missing just because you've already listened to like a hundred things and you need to take a break. <laughs> so that part can be frustrating because you really do. I really you do want to try to hear everything, but just can't keep up with it all at this point because it really is like I was saying it's not like I'm going out and saying I'm going to go to the bookshop and buy like Maximum Rock and Roll and this and that and, like read about some things and send away my money to buy it like it's just coming at you and so it's you kind of don't have control over how it's just coming at you and even if you take a day off for some reason it's still there so when you come back it's like that much more to go through so it's kind of like this stream of information never really stops at this point it is funny, you know, I feel like people our age have such a unique perspective because there was, and people older than us, obviously, because, you know, there was a sense when I was in high school that you had to search for music, right. that you had to like go to Tower Records and spend three hours digging through bands. You know, it was, it was an effort to find music. And now, like you said, it's just, it's like constantly thrust at you in this overwhelming <laughs> barrage where you're just like, oh God, no, no more. It used to be this amazing thing where I was talking to someone about this over the weekend where I would, I grew up in New Jersey, so I'd go to the Princeton Record Exchange and the people that worked there would always write little blurbs on the album. So I was really into like Twisted Village, that label, and into Kill Rock Stars, a lot of K records and all this stuff. You go in and someone would say, this thing sounds kind of like crystallized movement. And so you just buy these things on the recommendation of the person in the record shop. You start figuring out someone's handwriting and say, okay, this is the person I trust. <laughs> you know, searching out that way, you're like reading liner notes and a Sonic Youth record. And, you know, they mentioned Raymond Carver. He's Raymond Carver. And then start reading him. And it really was like searching stuff out and finding things. And that way you really had, at least you had a control over what you were confronted with. <laughs> and now it's really, it's just the wheels have come off and, it's, you know, you're, you're sleeping and while you're sleeping, emails are just going into your inbox and you wake up and 
go, wow, I mean, it's all these more emails to go through. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's, I really do think having access to all that stuff is great. It just makes like an impossible task right. to go through it because you could really sit at your computer 24 hours a day, seven days a week and never get through it. You know, I have a wife and two small children. So it's like, I do like to get away from the computer and <laughs> actually interact with them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's another big difference from being in your 20s, right? Because right before we had families, it was like, oh, yeah, I can go out seven nights a week and I can stay up till four in the morning every night and I can read every, you know, issue of the enemy and the whatever and the whatever, but no more. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible. I mean, I feel like there's this thing that I, I forget the exact idea, but when I was in college, I remember them talking about there's a point where it was actually possible to read every book that had ever been published because there weren't that many books published oh my God. early on because it was just such a laborious task and it took forever to, it was so expensive, it took forever to kind of make something. So there was a point where you could, yeah, I read every book in the world. <laughs> now it's just, obviously, you know, I have books on my shelves that I know I'll never get to. It's yeah. just kind of impossible. So you said something a little earlier that I think is really an important point, which was, so let's say you do listen to something during, you know, one mm -hmm. of your many hours of listening during the day, and it does pique your interest. You said you look for more, you go online and, and you start to see, you know, try to find out some more, like maybe you read the email or you follow a link or like you, you know, you Google the name of the band or something. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a super important point if what we're trying to do here is educate young musicians, because I think... You know, people send records to gatekeepers for a lot of reasons. But one thing I always say to young bands is, don't send me something if it's the only thing you've ever done. If I like your music, but there's nothing going on, that's kind of a problem. Now, you're in a different position than I am. It doesn't really matter as much for you, but I'm interested to know what you think about that. I think that's true. I mean, there's a good example would be the band Perfect Pussy and they were a band, I just saw their name mentioned on Twitter by someone and I thought it was, I like, that's a good name. So I Google searched them and then found their Bandcamp page and listened to it and liked it. And then I posted it on the staff board. People are like, wow, this is really good. And everyone got into it. And that's, you know, why we ended up writing about them. And, and there's, it was sort of a funny thing because around that time, there was, you know, all these conspiracy theorists on the internet as there always are. who are like, oh, this is like an inside thing or these people, their publicists really hit up Pitchfork. And this, this is really an example of, me Googling their name and finding something on Bandcamp. So, you know, if it hadn't come up, then I would have just said, oh, I guess I found nothing from that band. But it was, you know, seeing them mentioned a few times by people and then thinking, okay, I'm going to check out what this is exactly. And then doing that search and finding it on Bandcamp and then playing it and then liking it and kind of sharing it with other people. So that's true. You want to have, you know, if someone sends you, all they have is one MP3 or something and they send you that and then you look for more and can't find anything. It kind of ends there. Or, or if they do have something else, at least have a contact email. And that's often a really basic thing, but I mean, you're more like, obviously they're emailing you, you have your email address, but sort of like being able to find a way to, to learn more about someone in a really basic way is helpful. And sometimes you'll get websites that are really hard to navigate or the, there's like a bio that's kind of written in the form of like a science fiction manifesto or something. <laughs> it's just hard to figure out like what, what you're dealing with, you know, and sometimes it really is, or even if someone sends you an email, they send like a, a five page, history of the band you know it can really just be too much when you're just, when you're going through so much information in a day and it's really just like a paragraph is all you really need something that just gives a person a quick overview like all right this is what i'm listening to and gives a little bit of a context and then you can dig into it that way i think sometimes the most basic approach is the best kind of the easiest approach and you don't need a lot of bells and whistles it's kind of like if someone sent it to resume that's 
doing like crazy color ink and has all this stuff over it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to pay more attention to it. It's just kind of the clearest and easiest way to access information is often the best at this point because they just do so much information. Well, right. When there's information overload, you got to you gotta kind of streamline it a little bit. I agree. So a site like Pitchfork, I mean, you happen to work at Pitchfork, which is, you know, the, Pitchfork has always enjoyed kind of this exalted position amongst music blogs, but you haven't always worked at Pitchfork. You've worked elsewhere too. Mm-hmm. So do you want to discuss the role of the music blog these days? Like what you think it's actually, you know, is it still doing its function of gatekeeping or is it, you know, has that faded a little or what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of, it's interesting. You know, we, for instance, at Pitchfork, we don't really do track premieres anymore. And part of that was you start noticing something where every blog or every site will the same week, everyone posts the same stuff. And, you know, the same day, everyone puts up the same track or whatever within an hour of each other it becomes this really like consensus kind of every sort of almost like you don't need all these different blogs if everyone's going to post the same thing. So one thing we try to do is get out of the whole releasing cycle and just say, you know, we'll post things when we like them and people on staff like them and give them time to write about it and not try to rush it up and make it like a first sort of thing. I and mean, there's always exception to that rule. Like if Kanye West were to call up and say, I'm going to give you a new song and obviously we posted in news as a premiere or something, but it's just like, it's one way to kind of differentiate things and not to have, your track section look like everyone else's. And I, I think the gatekeeping thing exists for sure, but I think now that so many people do have their own blogs or their own ways to get their information out there, you could you know, get a review, a, a bad review on Pitchfork and still do fine because there's enough other places that could sort of you know, say this thing is great or this thing is whatever. And I, I don't think it's at this point, it's not like there's just one or two publications. There are just so many of them that you can definitely find other avenues to get your name out there. And I, I think what we've tried to do for sure is like to actually present and to try to present good writing and not try to rush things up and not succumb to like click through top 10 lists and all that kind of stuff, just to try to keep it more, you know, things that we can go to sleep at night and not be embarrassed about, <laughs> just kind of keep it more like the zines we were reading when we were younger or something like that kind of thing. I still have that kind of ethos mm-hmm. and try to maintain that. So I think that it definitely becomes sometimes where people are all, struggling to sort of be the first on something that doesn't always isn't always the best way to approach music sometimes it's nice to actually stop and think about it and listen to it and reflect on it before racing it up to get it on the internet uh, it is tricky though I think there's so many more bands out there now too so there's more publications but there's way more bands so I can imagine being a young band trying to get your voice heard at this point would be incredibly daunting just thinking of all of this stuff all the hurdles to get through and all the competing voices I think a lot of times it just comes down to luck. Mm-hmm. Luck. Yeah. 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 I always, <laughs> is, I always say that my husband always had a formula, which was something along the lines of making into the music business is 10% talent, 5% luck, and 85% hard work and perseverance. Mm-hmm. And just sticking around. And that can really be the hardest part is just the sticking around part. But luck is absolutely a factor. You have to sort of be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, this is something I've told young writers too. A lot of times we'll have people coming through as, as interns or fellows and sort of asking, how'd you become an editor? How'd you do this? And a lot of it is just to keep pushing at it because you know, I've told a number of younger writers that when I first started and I did a zine and then tried to do freelancing, and the first time I sent out my clips, I just really didn't hear back from anyone. And then I tried again and I, and it, I did. I started writing for the Village Voice and 
other places kind of on and off, like kind of started happening at once. But that first time that I sent stuff out, it is a little bit, you know, a bummer to say, wow, nobody wants me to write for them and to get nothing back. And in those situations, you can't really give up. You have to kind of just keep going for it. And eventually something may happen or it may not, but it's also like being a writer isn't always the easiest or most lucrative task to pursue. So it's something where you don't just suddenly wake up and become, you know, an editor of a publication that does take a lot of time. I think the same thing with a band just to keep pushing and trying and, you know, somehow you send an email to someone and they don't pay attention the first time for whatever reason, you know, like, just as they're opening your email, they spill their coffee or something and then they forget about it. And then you send it again like a month later and they do. And it's, it is, you know, at this point it's, it is like those strange outside factors that happen. Cause there's even situations where I'll suddenly be remembering, wait a second, that I remember email this friend back or did I dream that? And I go through the <laughs> inbox and I go, wow, I actually did read that. You know, as I was reading it, someone walked past that and you and I stopped and waited, you know, and then you just kind of forget about it. Cause it's just like this constant right. hug of multitasking. So yeah, I think it's, it just takes a matter of trying again and again. I mean, not to the point of like harassing the person every day, but just, you know, following back up here and there to see if, if they've checked it out. Right. Absolutely. So that's sort of, I mean, part of your advice for young bands would be just stick with it, keep it up, keep trying. If at first you don't succeed, <laughs> try, try again. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, I think so. I think, I mean, it's like a, I, I know, you know, Matt, a manager from the national someone that I've known for a long time. And I remember once talking to him before their band had made it and he was looking at a, co- a copy of the village voice and we were sitting in some bar in New York and he was saying, oh, you know, Interpol, he was getting all these big stories and we're just like this tiny little blur on the bottom of the page. You know, I wonder if whatever, if anything's ever going to happen. And they just really kept going for it for years and years until they, at this point, are a very successful band, but it was like it was definitely not an overnight success or something that happened quickly for them. I think it was kind of humiliating and depressing for them to just keep trying and trying. And you know, I'd go see them play at like Southpaw in Brooklyn, and there'd be like six people there or something, you know, including <laughs> their girlfriends and me. It's just like it was <laughs> it's a bummer, but then you just kind of keep going for it, and then eventually maybe you have that luck and it happens, and you can go back and tell your story about how you tried and it worked or in some cases it just doesn't work. And that's also a reality and a possibility. But I think there is always, there's more of a chance of making it. You keep trying to just sort of give up after a bit because of the things coming together. You're never going to. So it's just like, keep trying over and over again. Because there's very few people I know who have like that, you know, really quick overnight success. And a lot of them that do, are not really quickly too. So it's sort of what you're saying, just to keep going for it you do have that success, but you'll see some people, you know, one South by Southwest, for instance, just use that as like a metric or whatever. Some group will be like, everyone's talking about them and they're just saying, and then the next year, it's like nobody remembers who that band was. In that way, I think a group like the National, the way that they had their success was great for them because it took a long time, but it kind of slowly built them a fan base that was very loyal and, you know, sort of grew with them. And so they have more of a sustained following versus like someone who is a, you know, the quote unquote like flavor of the month kind of band or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with that completely. You know, I think it's important for artists because I think it helps them be better artists too, to, to continue to try even when they don't make it. I mean, like you said, overnight success almost always results in no more artist. 
which is not the point that we're trying to go for here. Totally, yeah. Saying something, it really does. I think it takes time, and also you kind of grow up and sort of get more mature about your work and, and figure out, you know, I need to have this and this to, I need to put in the work so I'm going to keep this going. I need to have this sort of structure around it. Maybe you have, you know, you get a manager eventually, you get this or that and sort of have a team to help you out in time and all that stuff to sort of help you keep track of things as as you grow versus like suddenly being thrust into the situation that you're not quite ready for and then it just becomes overwhelming and just kind of, you know, falls apart. Well, on that note, Brandon Stosi is the Director of Editorial Operations at Pitchfork. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us on The Future of What? Yeah, thanks for having me. Hopefully something is helpful. Mario Brothers 2 Underworld by The Advantage. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber on iTunes. Nathan Walker is the newly minted head of Riot Act Media, and he joins us in the studio today. Nathan, welcome to The Future of What? Excited to be here. So, you just took over as the big boss, but you've been working at Riot Act for years. Yeah, I started with Joan about six years ago, mm-hmm. and we kind of became partners about two years ago. And yeah, as of January first, it's it's me running the show. Woohoo! It's so exciting and terrifying. Yes, yes, I hear you. <laughs> I did that once too. <laughs> Here, have a company. Thunk. <laughs> bye bye. Yep. So today on this episode of The Future of What, we are talking music industry 101. So what we're really doing is kind of doing a public service for our listeners who are young musicians, kind of trying to break into the industry and get started. And so we wanted to speak to you because we want people to understand, how do I get my music out there? What does a publicist do? And how can a publicist help me? So sort of just on the the basic, the most basic level, what does a publicist do? Well, I try to tell people that it's 50% secretary, 50% cheerleader. And the cheerleader part starts first with most bands, and it's where I'm taking their music and their story, and I'm going around, and I'm cheerleading, and I'm saying, hey, guys, this band is worth your attention. I know there's 600 bands you could be listening to today, but this reason, this band in particular is special because of these reasons. And so that's the cheerleader aspect that I talk about. But then when the cheerleading starts to work, you then become the secretary. You're making sure that the right, the correct writers are getting the, the on the guest list, that people are getting showing up for the interviews on time, that the photo shoots are happening, that photo credit goes to the right person, that people have lyric sheets. You're just making sure the press has everything they need to effectively tell the story of your band. And also making sure that your band shows up on time. That's That's really, I try to take away the magic of it because people think it's this magical thing. But basically, I'm just telling the press, this is good music. You should check it out. And thankfully, they believe me. (laughs) (laughs) So it starts like many of the jobs in the music industry. It starts with sort of being a gatekeeper. So you have to listen to music that comes to you, correct? 
all the day. Right. So you get demos from probably bands on every level who are just starting out to bands on, you know, big labels that are trying to hire you. And so what criteria do you use to make a decision about who to work with? I mean, the criteria is I have to like it. I try to tell people that I'm only as good as my worst client. And the, the, that thought process is that I'm asking people to take time out of their day to check out these bands. So if I take on a band that has a lot of money, but maybe I'm not too excited on their music, the people that trust my taste listen to that band and they're like, this is terrible, Nathan. <laughs> Thanks for asking me to check this out. Why, why did you send this to us? So the next time I actually do send them, they have that that memory in their brain of like, the last band you sent me was terrible. Oh, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not checking this out. I'm skipping it. So... To me, it's, do I like the band? And I don't always like bands that become, like some of the most popular bands aren't my favorite bands, but writers now know my niche of, of, of taste. And so they, like some people probably think I have terrible taste and they disagree with me all the time and they don't check out my bands. But the people that do trust my taste, trust that I kind of have an ear for quality. And I also like to look for a good story because... Bands, there's lots of great music being made. So if a band has a unique story to tell, that certainly helps. Can you give us an example of a good story that you've come across where you're like, whoa, this is just cool and everyone's going to be like, really want to write about this? Oh, well, the, the story that popped into my brain wasn't cool, but it was a unique story in that I worked with this band out of Seattle called Visqueen. And she broke out with, with an album that went really national and got her tons and tons of press. And like she seemed, to, in Seattle at least, to be just on the skyrocket to being the next big thing. And then she just disappeared from the scene, like out of the blue. Nobody ever heard from her. She didn't put any more records out. And then it turned out that her dad had terminal cancer and she left the music industry to just take care of her dad over the it ended up being a few years. And so when she returned, people were like, she asked me to work her, her album. And just the story of being a cancer caregiver and that the album was written while she was taking care of her dad, just, it was a rough story to tell, but it was interesting and people cared. And it just, it, it was one of those stories that she wanted to tell to the press. So the, and the press was quite interested to learn about being, you know, what would make you give up your dreams to take care of your your father as he dies. I think that's a really important point. I'm glad you brought it up because I think a lot of times young bands don't realize they just think because everybody is, you know, within themselves all the time. So they're just in their own worlds and they're like, but I just wrote the greatest song in the whole world. And like, everyone's just going to see it and they're going to know what a genius I am. But what you have to explain to them is, no, you know, we're talking to people who listen to 600 bands a day. What makes you special and different besides the quality of your music? What kind of a story can we tell about you? So to try to get people to understand that. And I always think when I talk to bands, I always say, you got to have some kind of a hook, some kind of a thing that's your thing that people can point to. Even the most basic thing will make people able to pick you out of a crowd. And I always point to the white stripes because I'm like, in those early days of the white stripes, do you remember? They just always wore red and white. Oh yeah. And they just had all their photos that were red and white. And, and it was like, that's not a big thing. But it was huge at that time because you were like, I know exactly what this band is. I know who they are. We can point to them. They're doing something special. And I just think that's such an important thing for bands to realize. 
it is. And I think sometimes bands think that detracts from their music. They're like, oh, we don't want to have a gimmick. And like, and I try to say, to, like, if it feels gimmicky, don't do what's natural. But 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 sometimes accent, like, accent your eccentricities. There was a band that I worked with, and one of the guys in the band was an animal lover, but in his heart, he loved hedgehogs. He would foster hedgehogs until they got a new home, and we got a ton of press about his his love of hedgehogs. And it it, it opened up their music to a, hedgehog fans around the world <laughs> that they wouldn't have had. They, like it's it just a different angle to tell besides that like the mannequin men had great music they were a great band but there was also a hedgehog lover in the band <laughs> and that sometimes can make a huge difference so talk to us a little bit about how things have changed because you know 10 years ago there were certain really big outlets where people were always trying to get written up like oh we really want to get written up in pitchfork for example but the way that the internet has changed you know, how, are there more outlets now, less out- outlets? Like, do you think things are certain things are still really important to get? What's your take on that? Well, there's less outlets now than more now than ever. I feel like the blog world of five years ago was really excited about the blog world because these bloggers had a chance to to share their taste before everyone else had it. And with the advent of streaming and like surprise albums, there's no way like you just see people turning more and more to just, oh, I heard that's a good band. I can now listen to it. And so the the need to read about bands hasn't disappeared, but the need to like use a blog to find new music or to use Pitchfork to find new music has taken a backseat. But you're also seeing a lot more long-form journalism popping up, which is exciting for me because that's telling the story of a band rather than just, hey, here's a new song. Quote about the band, quote from the band, new song, release date, link. But yeah, so important stuff. I mean, there's, like you said, Pitchfork is still a huge influence on the music industry. NPR Music, I like to say that Pitchfork, and actually this has changed even since I used to say this, but I used to say Pitchfork would would cause a spike in illegal downloads and NPR coverage would cause a spike in sales. Uh But now nobody even illegal downloads anything anymore. (laughs) They just wait until it's streaming on Spotify. Right. But The Fader, I think, tells a really good story, and they have a nice niche market. Spin was on a rocky soil for a little while, and they're back telling some really good stories, and their their, their features are, are pretty interesting, and I think they're doing a good job. Stereo Gum is covering lots and lots of new bands, and so it's nice to see how much exposure they're giving to baby bands that don't have it on these other sites. My all-time favorite though, and I shouldn't say this because it'll offend everyone else, is Impose. Mm-hmm. And they don't do any corporate advertising. Like They do have ads on their site, but the, like they're really trying to just document like unheard, smaller scene music, and they do long-form features on bands you've never heard of. So it's just, I always find music on Impose that I've never heard of before and that I love. And Cool. I really like the attitude of their staff quite a bit. Cool. So for the young musicians listening to this radio show, what's your advice when they approach a publicist? Well, I always say if you reach out to me and I, there's no way for me to possibly hear your music, you're wasting my time. <laughs> 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 like I, I, 
if when you're reaching out to a publicist, please give them easy access to hear your music without having to write and ask you for it. They also are getting hundreds of bands at a time, and so their their time is valuable. And so giving them easy access to your music, but but really, when you're reaching out, you should like the bands that they're already working with. Like, look at their roster. Is it mostly hip hop, and you're a punk band? Probably not the best fit. But if you like their roster and you feel like they represent musicians you'd want to share stages with, reach out. Tell them, you know, what your plans are, what your goals are. Because every band has different goals, too. There's some bands that do want to be the next big thing. And some bands just want to play a Pacific Northwest tour of, you know, 10 dates, have a really good album release show in their hometown. And that's, that's their goal for the album. So, you know, explaining your goal to the publicist, a link to your music, and a reason why you want to work with them. There's no harm in selling yourself to the person that's going to sell you, I guess. So you're listening to The Future of What? We're talking to Nathan Walker from Riot Act Media about how young bands should approach publicists and what publicists do. So is there a time in a band's cycle that they should approach a publicist? I mean, should someone approach you if all they've done is written a song? Or should they approach you when they have an album to promote? It really depends on the the motivation of the artist, I would say. Keeping in mind that publicists cost money. So if you're an artist that really wants to involve your publicist early on and has a very career-minded goal of becoming a huge artist in the, in the industry, it doesn't hurt to reach out sooner than later because there's things they can do to help you get off the ground, but that's an expensive proposition of having a publicist on when you're when you really don't even have an album. For me, most of my clients come to me about six months before the album is tentatively released, and we talk about plans of of when I'll get started, which is like three to four months out. Bigger, bigger established bands we start a little bit earlier because they have a chance at being featured in bigger magazines. So. But, but baby bands, like three months out, we get started and we're, we're shooting for reviews in print, maybe some new artist exposures. And then in about two months, you're looking for online stuff. But yeah, so as soon as you have your album final mixes, that's a good time. Or an EP. Some publicists work with just singles too. Like there's, there's no harm in blowing up one single if it's a great song. It's just coming to a publicist when you have a goal. And then talking to them about your goals, I feel like, is probably the best move forward. If you don't have a goal, the publicist can't really create one for you. Do you have any particular success stories that you'd like to share with us where you got on board with a band because you loved them and then they ended up taking off past your wildest dreams? Or maybe in tune with your wildest dreams? (laughs) (laughs) We had an artist come to us who, she also blew up. Um, There's an artist named Torres who started with us when she was just self-releasing her first album. And she's now gone on to a lot more acclaim. Her sophomore album came out last year on Partizan, Partizan Records mm-hmm. and was a big success for them. And But Mackenzie from Torres came to us and she's like, you guys did such a good job with my, with my debut album. I really think you guys should meet this friend of mine, Natalie Prass, who's been playing around Nashville a bit and hasn't had much exposure and so Torres had already blown up a little bit, and so we, we, you know, Natalie sent us her album, and we loved it. 
And she'd been shopping it around for a while and she was just about to self-release it. And she was just like, I'm done. And then this artist, Matthew E. White, approached her about re-recording it. And she wound up re-recording it and then came back to us and worked with us. And I would say that 2015 for that release of her record has been, went beyond our wildest dreams. It was on year-end lists. Her South by Southwest show was, I think the press said that she'd already outgrown South by Southwest before she even played it. Wow. (laughs) She, yeah, it was just one of those situations where she's playing our showcase at this tiny little 150 capacity room. And I couldn't, I had to watch my own show through the window. We couldn't get in. And she had a great year. We still have like the, the record's still going and people, and it's been out for almost a year now and it's still going and it's been a great ride. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm trying to think about anything else we might want to. One thing I like to talk about with, oh, yeah. with younger bands, I, I think is a fun, and, and, it, and it's a spectrum, but there's people that play music for fun and there's, there's people that play music for art, and then there's people that want it to be their career. And you don't necessarily have to do all three. And, and a publicist can work with you, whether it's your art project or it's your, like, you want to sell out crowds and just be a party band on the weekends. Like, there's a lot of different varieties of music needed, and a publicist can help, but only if you tell them exactly what your goals are. That's a really good point, and I hope that that helps to focus young bands on what it is that they want, because as a label and as a just a person in the music industry, I think it really helps when artists actually understand their own goals. A lot of times artists don't interrogate themselves that hard about what they're trying to go for, and that can be really a problem if you get out on the road and go, wait a second, actually... I hate touring. I hate touring. (laughs) This was a terrible mistake. (laughs) I don't like this. I'll never do this again. Because you're really bumming out your booking agent and your label and your manager if you happen to have all those people working with you, you know, people who have invested time and, and money in you. If you discover halfway through that you don't like the job that you've chosen to do. So it's always really good to be as honest as possible with yourself as an artist. And there's no shame in not wanting to tour. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, I that's all I've ever said is just be honest. Like, listen, if you want to, like you said, play sold out shows on the weekends, but keep your day job, it's a completely reasonable goal. Very honorable. But just make sure that you don't drag other people into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and their investments. And, and their investments, exactly. Well, Nathan Walker is the boss at Riot Act Media. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on The Future of What? Thanks for having me. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Hella, The Advantage, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. For more info on the shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.